Hey, it's great to be back and to be up here and to have the opportunity, the privilege uh, of being able to to teach this morning. I, I have to say that it's always nice to get a couple of weeks off. For me, preaching's a, a pretty heavy load, and, and so it's nice to kind of catch your breath for a couple of weeks, maybe work on uh, some other things too, even though I believe that preaching is one of my priorities and, and one of the things that God's called me to do. Uh, for this church, but it's nice to get a break. And I also enjoy uh, giving you the opportunity to hear from other people. And I think that's one of the great things about Genesis uh, is to hear some other voices, to see what God's doing in other people's hearts. Uh, excited to have Josh Tandy here and that he shared a couple of weeks ago and just think he did a great job and look forward to you being able to hear him again soon. Uh, Bob Russell last week. I mean, what an awesome message. I, I hope you got a little bit of a glimpse of, of my friend and just a guy that I really look up to, uh, his love for Jesus Christ, his love for the church. And, and, you know, 40-some years into ministry that uh, he's still charging away and just excited to see uh, what God's doing here in Noblesville, Indiana, uh, through Genesis Church. And so I'm grateful that you had a chance to hear Bob. But this morning, uh, we're going to be starting a brand new series, a series that, that I like to call Practical Atheist. And uh, the, I, um, I run in the mornings, and typically I'll, I'll throw on my iPod shuffle and listen to a, a sermon uh, of someone else. And one of my fra- favorite preachers is a guy by the name of Craig Groeschel. And uh, last year he did a series with his church based on uh, this topic. And I've been listening to it and it's just really been working on my heart. And, and so what a, what a great thing I thought to share uh, a, a series of three sermons with you uh, where God's already working on me. And uh, sometimes I think those are the best. And so I'm excited to, to, to walk through this over the next few weeks as we get started. I want to invite you to take your Bibles. And if you've got your Bibles with you, turn to Second Timothy chapter 3. Uh, we're going to start in verse 1. The Apostle Paul here is writing a letter uh, to Timothy, to a group of people, to a church. And, and we're going to take a look at some of these words that he chooses here. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do as we read these verses together. I want you to think about how many of the qualities that Paul lists here we actually see in society today around us. Second Timothy chapter 3 beginning in verse 1. He starts off like this. He says very sternly, but mark this. Okay, make a point of realizing this. There will be terrible times in the last days, he said. And so immediately we know that he is looking into the future. There's some prophesying that's taking place here. He's making us aware. He's making the people aware 2,000 years ago, even today, of, hey, there are some things that you're going to see happening around you in the last days, in these days before Jesus comes. And here's some of them. And so he's got a list for us. He says, here's what you're going to see in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves. Do we see that around us today? I think so. Check. Lovers of money. Boastful. Proud. Abusive. People who are disobedient to their parents. Ungrateful. Unholy. Without love. Unforgiving. Slanderous. Without self-control brutal, people that are not lovers of the good, people that are treacherous and rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Now, Paul, again, is looking into the future. He's saying, hey, the end times are going to have these types of qualities. You're going to see people with these types of qualities and characteristics. Do you agree that Jesus could come back at any moment? And we'll get out early if he does, and we'll just kind of go on and do that thing. Uh, But here's what he's saying. He said, hey, you're going to see all of these things in the last time. But then he concludes the verse with this statement, and it's the statement that I want to kind of hang on for a second. He said, we will see people that have a form of godliness, but deny its power. 
And I think these are pretty powerful words here because Paul is describing a group of people, a group of people that will have this form of godliness in them, but will continually deny its power with their lifestyle. I mean, what's he saying? That these people will appear religious, at least according to the world's standards. They will say the right things. They will do the right things and, and practice the right customs and wear all the right clothes. I mean, they'll have all of it going on the outside, but it won't quite always add up to what's going on the inside. They'll have this form of godliness, but at the same time, little respect for who God is. They won't fear him. And that's what Paul is saying about these people of the future. You know, and for the most part, and I realize that this is changing every day, most people living today in the USA have some some sort of connection with God, some sort of connection with Christianity, or some sort of connection with the church. And I realize that this isn't always true, but I think especially here, you know, in Indiana, according to a recent Gallup poll, 94% of Americans believe in God or some sort of universal spirit. 94% of people living today in the USA have some sort of belief in God or universal spirit. But most, I think we would conclude, don't fear him. And we're going to talk about what that means in a second. But It's a form of godliness that we see around us today where people have little to no respect for who God is. And and I think that's the way that many people in our country roll today, inside the church and outside of the church. And I think this is especially true in a place like Hamilton County. You know, I would say that the average person, you know, if you were to just to, to select a random person off the street in Hamilton County, they would have some sort of connection with a church or some sort of connection to Christianity or, or maybe some sort of belief in God. In most cases, you know, maybe they would choose a church and say, oh, yeah, I've got a church. I mean, I only go on Christmas or Easter, but it's my grandma's church or it's my parents' church. I mean, or it's the church that we were married in. They would claim some place or say, claim some sort of, <coughs> excuse me, belief in God. But I think the majority of people today don't fear God. You know, it's kind of like this. I believe in God, but I still want to do what I want to do. And, you know, at the end of the day, I'm calling the shots. I I want enough of God to keep me out of hell. But I don't want so much of God that I've got to start, you know, making my life all about him or or changing my lifestyle or changing some of the choices. I believe in God, but I don't I don't fear him. It's practical atheism. And if you're taking notes, uh, here's a definition of practical atheist. A practical atheist is someone who believes in God, but lives as if he doesn't exist. A practical atheist is someone who believes in God, but lives as if he doesn't exist. And and here's the truth, and and it's a sad truth, but I think here's the truth of what we're kind of getting at today. Many people in our country in our churches, and even this church. I think we're we're full of practical atheists. I mean, we believe in God. We like the sound of it. We like the ring of it. But we don't typically or regularly live as if he exists. But here's what I want to say to you today as as we get started in this study, especially if you're a little nervous about what we're talking about here, that your life your relationship with God, it can be greater than it is right now. Yeah, I mean, the Bible says, who, who can fathom the love of God? No one can, because it's unending. 
You know, even when we go to the greatest steps in our relationship with God, there's still a greater place that we can go. Your life, your relationship with God, it can be greater than it is right now. And if you are willing, and if you are humble, I believe that God can do an extraordinary work in your life over these next few weeks. In fact, for some, I believe that these next few weeks could be a real defining point in your relationship with God, a a starting place that you look back to and you go, you know, everything changed during that series. Everything changed during that month. It was a a new place for me. It was a starting place for me in my relationship with God. Your relationship with God can be greater. And I want to ask you, would you be willing to allow God to do something new in your life over these next few weeks? That's the question I want to ask. Let me pray for it. God, uh, we just pray right now in this place at this moment. And I believe there are some sitting here right now, even with this just few-minute introduction into this series, that there's already a work that you're doing inside of them, an uneasiness where they realize, you know what, I can go farther with God. And for some, they're, they're standing on the outside and all of this is new. But maybe they're real interested, they're real curious. God, would you keep doing that work in their life? And, and for some that are sitting here that maybe have been around this or the church for all of their life, God, maybe they're realizing even right now that there could be more. And we invite you to do the work that you want to do. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, so this morning as we start, we're going to talk about this frightening truth that many people believe in God and don't fear him. It's kind of what I like to call um, sort of an on and off again sort of Christianity. Now, my wife, Jenny, and I, we like to go out to dinner. All right. And it's it's one of our favorite things to do. But with three kids um, our going out to dinner usually it revolves around uh, somewhere where kids eat free, some sort of special like that or this crazy, awesome coupon that we have. And you, we can thank Dave Ramsey for all of it. OK, but uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, a group of friends uh, gave us a, a generous gift and they said, hey, we want you to go do something nice. We want you to go out to a nice dinner. And so while it's totally unlike us, let's say we said, you know, let's do it. Let's go out somewhere nice to eat. And so we got dressed up and we had a babysitter and everything. We left the Rugrats at home. We're going out on this evening on the town and we wanted to go somewhere completely different. And so we heard about this restaurant that we went to. Have any of you ever heard of a Brazilian steakhouse? Huh? Okay. These Brazilians, they, they, they call it, there's a term for it. It's called Chiriscarian. And so we went to this Brazilian steakhouse and I have one word for you. Wow. I mean, it is, it is a delight. It is an incredible experience. And, and so you, you go into this restaurant and, and the first part of the experience is a salad bar. Now I have to say, I have to admit that being a nice restaurant, it's kind of funny to mention the word all you can eat salad bar for a nice dinner experience, but it was. And, and the vegetables were nicely prepared. Uh, there were all these fresh meats like pancetta and, and fresh salmon and, and different kinds of cheeses. But here's the thing. If you know what's on the other side of it all, you don't waste a lot of time at the salad bar, okay? You don't waste a lot of time on the pansy food because there's an even greater experience coming. And so you go to your table and you sit down with the salad and you start eating. And then there comes a moment where you're ready to unleash the full experience. And it's all in your control. It's all on your own hands because you see they give you this little coaster and one side's green and one side is red. And when you're ready for the experience to begin, you take the coaster, which is turned to red, and you turn it to green on your table. And then all of a sudden, through the doors of the kitchen, heaven comes to earth, all right, right here in the restaurant. 
And, uh, and so all of these, uh, all of these waiters start coming out and here, here, here's what it's like. They bring these skewers and I'm not exaggerating when I say these skewers are, are this large. They bring them to your table and there are all of these meats. There are 10 different kinds of beef all different cuts and different seasonings, and they just start cutting it out onto your plate. They give you these tongs, and you just reach out and you grab as much meat as you want and you bring it to your plate, and there's chicken and there's pork and there's lamb. And I mean, it's an incredible experience. And, and when you feel like you've got enough on your plate, you just simply grab your coaster and you turn it from green and you turn it to red and you set it down on the table and you eat and you eat and you eat some more and you eat a little bit more. And then when you're all done, even though you're not hungry, but because you're paying for it, you take the coaster and you flip it back over to green and they keep coming around again and you can decide, okay, I want a little bit of the ancho steak or I want a little bit of that bacon wrap filet or I'll take a little bit of that chicken or that pork loin or whatever and you keep eating. How many of you have ever heard the term meat sweats before? Have you ever heard anybody talk about meat sweats? Okay, well, they specialize in meat sweats. I mean, if you're not sweating some sort of meaty fluid from your body, you're not having the full experience. And, and so you just keep eating and you keep eating and you're totally in control of it all. And you decide, you know what, I'll take a little bit more of that, but, but I don't want any more of that. Or, you know, you're in command and, and the whole experience is in your hands or whatever. And you're like, I'll take a little bit of this and I'll take a little bit more of that. And I just can't help but think that sometimes our relationship with God is a lot like our experience at the Brazilian Steakhouse. You know, it's one where we're in control. You know, and we decide, you know, I'll take a little bit of that, I'll take a little bit of that. You know what, I'll take a little bit of that grace stuff again. You bring a little bit of that out, you know, in fact, supersize it, put it right here on my plate. Ooh, the judgment stuff, though, don't, don't get there, bring that to my table again. You know, I don't want that on my plate, I don't want that anywhere near my plate. Or that verse that talks about the blessings from God. Yeah, I'll take a double portion of that, but, uh, but keep you know, truth and, and consequences. Keep, keep those things away from me. Or I like the verse that talks about God's love and his compassion and his protecting me, but, but the one that talks about me being generous with my time, my talents and treasures, you know, I, I don't want anything to do with that. Or I, I don't want to believe in a God who wants me to do the stuff I don't want to do. I want God my way in this way. This is the God I want. And, and so I think for many of us, our relationship with God kind of becomes like the coaster experience. Yeah, I'm feeling good about it all today. Bring it on, God. Or no, I'm, I'm going to turn this off. This is my, this is my part. This is, this, is, this is where I kick in. I, I'm in control. I'll, yeah, sure, I'll bring that on. No, no thanks. And I think that's what our relationship with God looks like sometimes. It's red to green and green to red. It's, it's on and off. It's a start and go. Picking and choosing. My time, my convenience. I mean, sure, I believe in God, but... But I don't fear him. I believe in God, but, I, but I'm going to live the way that I want to live. There's a great verse in Psalm chapter 36, verses 1 and 2. And, and the writer says here uh, in the New Living Translation, Sin whispers to the wicked deep within their hearts. They have no fear of God at all. In their blind conceit, they cannot see how wicked they really are. And the verse says, sin whispers, that, that sin whispers into the hearts of the wicked. There's no fear of God present in their life, little to no restraint. And in their blind conceit, they cannot see how wicked they really are. Sin whispers to the wicked. What does it whisper? I whisper stuff like, live a little. I mean, you deserve it. Go all out. You're in control here. Take, take what you want. I mean, don't go overboard on all this Jesus stuff. And I mean, you're not that bad. And you're certainly not wicked. I mean, God's going to forgive you anyway. 
This is your life. These are the types of things that are whispered. And sin whispers to the weak. And we all know wicked people, right? I mean, wicked people like the man who, you know, who walked into Fort Hood this past week and, and shot up a bunch of people. It's easy to take a person like that and say, there's a, there's a wicked person. I mean, we can point to other people. But what if this verse right here is really about you and me? I mean, we don't like to think of ourselves as wicked, and it seems a little harsh, but the Bible says that there is no one who does good. Not even one, that our heart is deceitful above all things. And so what if sin is actually whispering to us? And what if in our blind conceit, our selfish way of living, we can't really see how wicked we are? I mean, what if like many people living today, it's so easy for us to say we believe in God and maybe giving him some time once in a while. But when it comes down to it, we really have little to no fear of him. Now, some of you are like, wow, what a great week to come to church, you know, going to just unleash it all, going to ream us out right here. Real uplifting message. I mean, you've already got this mixed up impression of God that he's some sort of like cosmic cop, you know, floating around in the sky with this laser just ready to zap you down the moment that you do something wrong. I mean, are we supposed to live afraid of God? Is that what this is really saying? Is that what this is about? Be terrified of God leads to a great relationship with him, you know. But it's, it's, it's so much more than that. I mean, I like what one writer says. He says, the fear of God can best be described this way. Two words. It's a reverent awe. A reverent awe of God. That he is this mighty fortress. That he is this unchangeable, unshakable God. Who desires to have a personal relationship with you and me. It's this reverent awe for God. This fear of God is a holy wow that you have for God. That you begin to see him in greater ways and you see his goodness. And your love for him grows. Let's look, look at it like this. How many of you watch the television show The Amazing Race? Or just every once in a while it lands on your TV station. Okay, it does for hours. We're not regulars, but, but on a Sunday evening we, we put it on once in a while. Well, a couple of weeks ago the contestants were racing through uh, the city of Dubai in the Middle East. And uh, it was really pretty cool. Uh, Dubai is one of the richest cities in the world today. I've never been there, but I've heard all these things about it. Well, the contestants had to ride the elevator to the top of this building that's being built there uh, called the Burj Tower. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of this building yet or not. It's not open to the public yet, but it's a massive structure. And uh, in fact, uh, when it's completed, this tower will stand as the tallest structure in the world in the middle of the desert at 2,684 feet. Now, it's tough to kind of get a, a, um, a perspective by a picture, but just to give you a perspective of some of the other buildings, uh, you can see the Sears Tower there and how this Burj Tower will just, will just dwarf it, you know, by, by its size and by how massive uh, it really is. Uh, just some fascinating things uh, about the Burj Tower, a couple of interesting facts about the building. Uh, when it's all said and done, Uh, It will have cost some $800 million to complete. Uh, The building will use 280,000 gallons of water each day, so it's green. The building will house the world's tallest elevators, uh, elevators capable of traveling 10 meters per second. And then get this, and this is what I think is pretty fascinating. 
31,400 tons of rebar have been used to construct this building. Now, this one website I was reading said that if you took all the rebar and you laid it down end to end, making one straight line, it would go more than a quarter way around the world. Okay, this is how, how massive uh, this building is. But, but here's what I think is pretty cool too. And, and obviously this is an aerial shot from not too far away. But on a clear day in the middle of the desert, you will be able to see this building from 60 miles away. 60 miles away, you'll be able to see the spires of this Burj Tower. And, you know, it's one thing to see it from such a distance. I I can't imagine what it's like to get so close to it that you could touch it or look straight up and be able to see it. And, you know, I think it's easy for you and me with our relationship with God to kind of stand at a distance at at times, even have a relationship with him. And, and maybe even one, uh, once in a while kind of give credit where credit is due to God and admire him for how great he is, maybe pay tribute. And I think we might even get startled once in a while by him. But it's one thing to stand at a distance. It's another thing to allow ourselves to draw closer to him. You know, it's not until we seek him and make ourselves and our lives available to him that we can truly appreciate him for who he is. I mean, as you get closer to God, here's what you find. You, you develop this reverent awe for him. You know, this holy wow for, for who he is. You realize that, that he's the God that put the stars in the sky. And that God who put the stars in the sky is the same God who loves you. That he chose you together. As Psalm 139 says, that he knit you together in your mother's womb. You know, before your parents even knew you or thought of you, God was already putting your life together. You know, it's not until we seek him and make ourselves and our lives available to him that, that we can see, you know, that he cares about each and every intimate detail of our life. As Psalm 139 says, he has ordained every single day of our life. Never, nothing ever gets beyond his knowledge. It's the God who knows the number of hairs on your head. It's the great I am. He's the one who will come again. He's the consuming fire, the, the rock and the shelter that we sing of. He's all powerful You know, he's the one who is so holy that no one can look him in the eyes and live. He's everywhere at all times. He's available. It's the God who sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to the earth to die for you and me so that we might experience his love and might be forgiven and have this relationship with him. He loves you. He cares for you. He has a purpose for your life. He has a purpose for my life. And the best part is that the closer you get to God, the more your awe or your wow for him increases. And as you come close and as you discover the richness of his character and you see his power firsthand in your own life, you realize that he's such, so much more than a building that we might admire. He's so much more than that. But that he's a God, he's a creator who wants to have a personal relationship with you. That's his greatest desire for you. And as you discover this, your awe for him increases, your fear of him increases, and you respond by living as he wants you to live. And you obey him, not because you feel the need to impress him, but you obey him because you know and realize what it is that he's done for you. But unfortunately, I don't think that many of us have this sort of healthy relationship with God. You know, because when you get to know him, when you have this fear of him, you're so blown away by who he is and what he's done for you that you're marked. 
you know, that you're changed forever, that you can never go back. And sure, it doesn't mean that you don't slip once in a while, but your life is never the same. And, and I just think that we, we fail to see this dramatic change in people's lives when they come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And if there is a change, it's short-lived. And then people just settle into the routine of doing church. And they just settle into the routine of doing life. And the only difference is, is that we've got a ticket to heaven. And I'm not in any way you know, underestimating the significance and the power of a life that crosses over into life with Jesus Christ. And, and I believe that, you know, many people are there today. And I'm not denying the importance of this event. I just, I just don't think we fear God like we should. I mean, the Bible says that even the demons fear God and they tremble. They're terrified at the thought of it. Practical atheism, it's believing in God without fearing him. And so I'm going to spend you know, the third week of this series talking about what it means to grow in our relationship with God, what it means to know him in a greater way. But as we wrap up this morning, I want to conclude by, by just giving you two examples of what I believe happens in your life, examples from scripture, when, when your fear in God increases. Two examples of what this looks like. The first one is this, when you truly fear God, you will serve him wholeheartedly without any conditions. When you truly fear God, you will serve him wholeheartedly without any conditions. And the truth is that today most Christians have conditions. Most of us have conditions when it comes to our service with God. You've got conditions. I've got conditions. All right, I'll I'll take that salad, but please don't crumble up any blue cheese on it. You know, I don't want any of that nasty stuff. So make sure that doesn't get on our salad. I mean, we've all got conditions. And I don't know what your conditions are when it comes to living for God, but I've heard things like, You know, I'm in with the God thing. You know, I'm totally into the God thing. I'm all about serving God, but I'm not going to stop sleeping with my boyfriend. You know, that that's that's my area of my life. That's my private life. uh, And and this is just who I'm going to be, what I'm going to do. I'm going to serve God, but no way I start trusting him with my money. I mean, that is just one area of my life where I'm in control, where I'm in charge. I'm not going to let God have a part of that. Or I'm going to serve God, but not a chance I change my lifestyle or a chance that I change the language that I use. No chance. And, and so I, I was trying to think of, of just an example of someone who I've seen in my life recently who I really think gets this, where they, the, the fear of God is present in them and they serve wholeheartedly and there are no conditions, there are no limits. And, and I can't help but think of, uh, uh, of this couple, Esperando and Deanne Pierre. I mean, just a, a beautiful couple. You, you guys have gotten to know the Pierres a little bit. They've been here the last couple of summers. They live in Haiti. Uh, Haiti is their home. That's where they serve. That's where they do ministry. Uh, we've had the chance to get to know them as a church. Uh, I had the opportunity to be down there a few weeks ago. Mike Jackson, I know John, was there uh, this past winter. And just getting to know their ministry. And, and I wanted to give you an update real quick and let you know. As you recall, a few weeks ago, uh, we took an offering as a church. We called it the Celebrate Offering. Uh, could we give over and above? typically of what we of what we normally do and, and give it beyond genesis give it to some special opportunities and the goal is ten thousand well after it's all come in now it, it's like close to twelve thousand seven hundred dollars that this church gave over and above what we typically give and i think that's awesome uh it's exciting and as we already had announced, we gave a gift of $3,500 to the porch, a church uh, in downtown Indianapolis, and, and they're working on their bathrooms. They didn't have bathroom facilities at their church, but they're getting close to that. Uh, we just sent a check for $3,500 to Haiti, to Nehemiah Vision Ministries. They've got a med- medical clinic that they're building in this little community called Chambrun, and uh, they're using it. 
but it's going to be about $13,000 to get it completely finished, to get it fully functional. Well, their project had come to a complete halt. Well, I'm excited that we just got word that because of our gift, uh, because of your gift, uh, they've been able to rehire their workers and they've started on the next phase of this project and they're using it as often as they can. And I just think that's really exciting. But, but I got an update this week that I just wanted to share with you a portion from, and this, this came from Esperandu. Uh, and here's what he writes. Uh, we again have seen the glory of God in the lives of those around our ministry this week. The town of Shambrun, and Shambrun is this little mud hut village. John, you know what I'm talking about, where they, they minister, where the school is and this medical clinic is. The town of Shambrun keeps talking about the things that have been done that have lifted up the name of Jesus. People in this community, in Shambrun, cannot fully understand why Nehemiah Vision Ministry has invested in the lives of Jerica. Jerica is a three-month-old little girl. She weighed less than 10 pounds when they met her the other day, just absolutely malnourished. They've been able to get her hooked up with a facility to get her to the place where she needs to to be. Uh, Another girl by the name of Flamanda, uh, who we had the opportunity to meet a few weeks ago, just a little girl. She suffers from hydrocephalus, which is a swelling of her brain. Her, Her head is just very large. Uh, for a young baby like a basketball and they've been able to make an opportunity now for her to come to the united states to have a surgery that she needs in order to get well and he's just saying people are celebrating this they're asking questions why are you doing this for us why are people asking this way many are questioning our intentions some have found the answer and have chosen to come to church to experience the same love of christ that has propelled us to do the things that we are doing here. And all I have to say is this stuff gets me fired up. And I just can't help but thinking about what could we do next? Like what can this church do next? Whether it be here in Noblesville or in Indianapolis or what's the continued work that we can do in Haiti. I just think it's an awesome thing and I hope that you do too and you can celebrate this and, and just pray for the work that God's doing there. But when I think about Esperando and Deanne, I see a couple. I see two people who fear God. And they love God and they're serving him wholeheartedly. Uh, You know, Haiti is full of incredible poverty. I mean, it's really overwhelming. I mean, it's labeled as one of the poorest countries in the entire world right now. Uh, It's stable now, but there have been times of incredible instability. There's disease. The Pierres have three children. And I just have to be honest that there were times when I was there, but I just couldn't help but think, "Why why don't you move to the States? I mean, you know enough people. You've got enough connections here. I mean, he, he could be a fabulous pastor in the States. They could send teams, short-term teams down to Haiti all the time, send money, send aid. But they can't do it because Haiti is their home. And that's where God has called them to be. And they love their neighbors and they love the people of Shambrun and their awe of God, their fear of God is changing them and transforming them every day. When you serve God, you will obey him without conditions. You know, consider Abraham. Great story. You know, God spoke to Abraham and he told him, he said, I want you to take your son, your only son, Isaac, to the top of the mountain and sacrifice him there. That's my command. I fail that test. No way. No way I say yes to that. Abraham agrees. He understands. He's maybe got some questions. He follows God. He does what God's called him to do. He gets to the top of the mountain. He lays his son out. In the most amazing act of obedience, the father takes his knife and raises it in the air and God intervenes at just the right moment. God stops it all. He steps in. In Genesis chapter 22, verse 12, here's what God says. He says, don't lay a hand on the boy. He said, do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, 
even your only son. Now that I know you fear God. I mean, what is the greatest evidence of the fear of God in our life? What's the greatest evidence of the awe of God in our life? It's your willingness and my willingness to serve God anywhere, anytime, anyplace. No conditions. Whatever it is that God calls us to do. It's a willingness to obey whatever the cost. Do I always do this? I wish I could say yes, no. How about you? I mean, it's so easy for me to just have this on again, off again kind of relationship with God when it's convenient for me, when it sounds good to me, my choice, my time, my place, the way that I want it. It's so easy for me to kind of make decisions on on what I need, what I expect of God. And we pick, we choose, we're in control. I'll take this, I'll take a little bit of that. No thanks for that. I, I want to do what works best in me. I mean, we believe in God. But do we really fear him? Do you really fear him? John chapter 14, verse 15, Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey what I command. If you love me, you will obey what I command. And the greatest fear, the greatest, the greatest evidence of the fear of God in your life is your willingness to serve him, to obey him unconditionally. So how do you fare? Are you serving God with every part of your life right now? Are there conditions? If so, what are those conditions? I mean, maybe that's a homework assignment for you today or or in your quiet time this week. God, what are the conditions I have established? You know, where, where does our relationship come to a halt right now? Are you serving God with every part of your life? The second thing, another example that I believe we see in people who are sold out, who have this great fear of God, is that when you truly know God, when you truly fear God, you will be forever ruined. You know, that we will never be the same ever again. We can't be. We can't go back. And sure, we all slip, and there'll be this great evidence of change in you. And some of you know what I'm talking about because your greatest encounter with God, you know, the the start of this new relationship or the start of this relationship with him came in some of the mess of your life. I mean, you've been through the fire and you've waded through the junk and you didn't quite understand it at the time, but you can see now how God was right there all of the time in the mess of it all, that he used that moment and that season in your life to get all the pieces in place. I mean, you were all out of hope and God came to you in a life-changing sort of way. And as I get to know some of you more and more and as I get to hear your stories, I know that some of you are going through some incredible junk right now in your life. And whether it be financially or with a job that you don't really want to be at or no job at all, Maybe it's just some disappointment with your marriage or your children. Maybe it's a health issue, some broken relationships with your family. I I pray that you can find hope from people who have been through the mess and have found God in some of those most frightening places. And they've been ruined forever. And in a crazy sort of way why they would never want to wish their experience and their junk on anyone else, if they had to do it again in order to get to the place where they are with God right now, they'd do it again in a second. And I know some of you have experiences like that. I mean, God is waiting. God is faithful. And I believe that he might be ready to take this moment in your life and and make it into the good. He's ready to do a great work in you. The question is, will you let him? Would you be willing to believe that even right now in this season of your life, God is there and he's waiting to do something awesome in you if you'll just acknowledge that. 
I mean, would you let him have his way with you right now? One of the great examples of, of personal transformation in the Bible comes uh, by the way of a guy by the name of Isaiah. And if I can remember where Isaiah is, in Isaiah chapter 6, uh, we read this great account from Isaiah. He is, he is written and recalled uh, this life-changing moment in his life that he may or may not have been prepared for. My guess is he had little to no preparedness for this situation. I just want to read a few verses here for you. This prophet Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. He writes, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorpost and threshold shook the temple, and it was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And with it, he touched my mouth and he said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt has been taken away and your sin atoned for. And then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah's replied, he said, here am I, God. Send me. And he starts off by saying, when King Uzziah died, and without getting into it, it's just best understood. The year that my life fell apart, Uzziah, or, uh, Isaiah said, the year my life fell apart, I was in the middle of, of this great earthquake, and I watched my life slipping away, but it was in the earthquake that I saw God like I had never seen him before. And when I saw him, it ruined me. It rattled me. It changed everything. I was changed forever. I was never the same. I've seen God for who he is. I saw a glimpse of his glory and his splendor and his holiness. And I am changed because of this. I will never be the same. Isaiah writes, mark this day. I was never the same from this day forward. I can't go back and live the way that I used to live because I've had this rich and fresh encounter with God. And what does God ask at the end of the passage? His question is, who will go for us? There's a, an audible question that God asks in the temple that Isaiah hears, who will go for us? It's an invitation of sorts to follow God. And Isaiah doesn't ask about the danger ahead. You know, he doesn't ask what the 401k is like or the benefits package. He doesn't ask if God is going to send him somewhere dangerous. Isaiah responds, send me. Send me, because I have been ruined in the best sort of way, God. Send me, because I've been ruined in the best sort of way, God. Send me. My life has been changed forever. I am ruined, and I will follow you. And as I read this, and as I think about this, and how it applies to us, I'm so afraid, and I mean this in the best sort of way, that so many people today, have yet to really be ruined by God. That we've, been, we've yet to be ruined by God and who He is, and, and you haven't been ruined by God yet, and because you stand at a distance and you choose to admire Him from like 60 miles away, you can't really understand how great He is. You can't understand His perfection. You can't understand His holiness. And I'd even be willing to say that you can't truly comprehend His love for you. His forgiveness that he's been made, has made available in Jesus. And 
And, and, and so we choose to admire him from like these 60 miles out and we choose to admire him on Sundays and then we just kind of do our thing. And what concerns me as a pastor, as your pastor, is that one day I'll answer to God for you. And I don't in any way want us to be accused of a church, uh, being a church where we denied, you know, that sometimes we fall victim to being these practical atheists. We like the sound of God, but we don't really live as if he exists. And here's what makes me even more nervous, though. It's that at times, and in many ways, I'm a classical practical atheist. I'm classic. Now, I mean, it's so easy for me in my life to be a, a part-time pastor and a part-time follower of Jesus. And I think it's especially difficult as a pastor to kind of see my relationship with God as a part of my job description. You just kind of expect it to be there, you know. And so it's easy to kind of find time for God and it's easy to clock out and, and forget that my personal relationship with God is more important than anything else I will ever do on this planet. That understanding his love for me, understanding his plan for me, understanding his desire to know me in a more intimate way is what he wants me to get. And in my study, you know, and just in my preparation for this, this is just what God has really put on my heart. Of Paul, what it really all comes down to at the end in your life is that you can say you know me in a greater way that you serve me unconditionally, that you have this reverent awe for me, this holy wow, this great fear of me, that you understand my love in greater ways every single day, that you're becoming more and more like Jesus. And and I fail in that. It's so easy for me just to kind of do the on again, off again sort of thing, check in, check out, my time, my place, my control. But what about for you? As we get started, as we wrap up here this morning, the question that I just want to ask is, would you be willing to say to God this morning, something new and fresh starts here? Because you're a God that's gracious enough to forgive me for my past over and over again. Can I have the confidence? Can I make this statement with my heart and my life? Can you make this statement this morning be able to say, something new and fresh starts here today? I want to know God in a greater way. I don't want to stand 60 miles out and admire him. I want to get all the way to him. You know, and Jesus, Jesus gives us that opportunity. And Jesus makes the way. Jesus paves the way for us to be able to do that. Let's pray. God, uh, we pray this morning that you would reveal yourself to us in such a profound way. God, to the person in this room right now who's far from you, to the person who has grown up around church and you all of their life, we just ask that you would begin a new work today. God, you know the state and the conditions of our heart right now, and I know there are some people here today that are ready to say that, God, I want more of you. I want to make more of, my, of myself available to you. I want to know you in a greater way. God, I just pray that you, you'd start answering that prayer in them. And you'd show them the steps to take, the path to take to get there. For God, those that are here right now that just aren't sure what to think about all of this, I I pray that you would just give them a curiosity and a desire to check out more of this for themselves. 
May we know you, God. Will you shake us to the core? Will you ruin us so that we may know you and serve you unconditionally? And give us this passion for total, sold-out commitment to you. And may we know you in such an intimate way that we fear you and love you all at the same time. But let today be the starting point of something new in us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.